0: Uh, welcome to the It podcast. Uh, that's the wrong podcast. No, this is
1: this is my one, Paige. This is my one. Well, it's our one.
0: I'm sorry. It's just the deja vu of being at the same table just twelve hours later.
1: Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I did jump in and take over your one yesterday.
0: That's true. You you look you're having a good time on my little spinny chair though, which I know is you've rejected. To be well, fair, it is a very squeaky chair.
1: It's noisy. Yeah, I did. I I have been a DM before, so it's not completely alien to me. But we are here today to talk about um, uh, other matters. Boo. Other matters. Although I suppose I should explain, yesterday we did the first recorded session of Paige's upcoming podcast, uh, The Junket, which is a Dungeons & Dragons, how, how did you say it? It's not Let's Play. It's it
0: a is a tabletop role-playing game wherein we each have a character, except for me because I'm the DM, so I'm everybody else. And you have to react to the scenarios I put you in. Um I imagine listeners to this podcast probably aren't as familiar with DD as most oh, podcast right. audiences yeah, yeah. would be, which is why I give that context. If you are familiar with D&D, we're aiming for a bit of a fun and zany flavor. And it's set in space and there are a lot of aliens and a lot of gay people, and it's good. No, very it, yeah. <laughs> very presumptive of me. It's good.
1: <laughs> it's good. It is good. It, it was it was it's always very fun to play. We've been doing it for uh, Is it three years or two years?
0: Three years years. September.
1: And um, we're now going to record it uh, in the second season that we're starting Mm -hmm. and uh, share it with the world. And I think it's going to be really great. And obviously when we uh, start it all off, I will be uh, sharing links to it. So, yes.
0: uh, Here's my thought for today that Mm -hmm. I woke up with. So I've been thinking about this podcast a lot lately because it's... It's a part of my life. You're a part of my life in a platonic oh. friend way. You're very gentle. It's very sweet. But oh. I think about this podcast a lot. And one of the thoughts I have when I woke up this morning was it was more of a thought of, okay, so if the political parties were D&D classes, oh. were Dungeons and Dragons classes, what would they be?
1: Uh, the Green Party would be...
0: Druids? <laughs> Do you think? Sorry got lofty land for the mic
1: yes absolutely They would be, be druids
0: they'd be druids
1: wow i was gonna say clerics but yes druids yes um the labor party would be clerics because clerics are always there to heal people and uh labor created the uh, national health service so um the uh, conservative party what would they be it's difficult to think of a a villainous class <laughs> unless like I mean, what you're, you know more about the various classes than me because oh. I, I, all I know is I'm a paladin and what the other members of our party are, I don't know some of the broader ones.
0: See, I could see some of the Green Party members being pal—number, sorry, Green Party politicians being paladins because of the various oaths you take. Oath of vengeance against those who do not want to protect the environment.
1: Oh, yeah. I can yeah. see
0: that. I can see that being a thing. As for the Tories, what's a boring class? That's a boring class? But they follow the rules. See, I don't want to dunk on the classes. Paladin, though. really? Wait, what if they're just civilians? Oh. <laughs> what are the Well, No, just but they,
1: they are drivers in the narrative, so oh. they are they, not non they're not in they're not non characters.
0: So. Boo. boo, boo, maybe wizards? I love wizards. That's kind of too cool. This is yeah. backfiring. But like, here's the thing: right there aren't
1: there aren't there aren't like necessarily bad classes.
0: Is there a class where you inherit your abilities?
1: <laughs> um,
0: I guess they would all be dragonborns. <laughs> They've inherited their their powers. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: dragonborn paladins.
0: Dragonborn paladins. You've taken an oath of austerity.
1: Yes, the liberal democrats. I think would be. Uh, God, what's what's like the most pathetic class?
0: Okay. Sorry, love to any rangers out there, but everybody knows it's the worst class.
1: Oh, what am I saying? With apologies to bards. The Lib Dems are bards. Oh my
0: God, why would you say that why about bards? Why would I say bards?
1: that? Because bards are not particularly good at fighting and they're mostly just shouting from the sidelines. <laughs> Which <laughs> Nick is
0: Nick Clegg used vicious mockery times 20. <laughs> uh,
1: actually, you know what? I take that back because the Little Dark um I've often seen centrists try to make jokes, and they're not funny, so I think Ranger, why is it pathetic in your eyes?
0: This is a very like booky answer, but it's they're just not very well. They're just not very powerful or interesting compared to the other classes. When you could be a Ranger or you could be a Warlock who's got their powers by making a deal with a demon, there's a clear. One of them is way more interesting than the other, and it's not the ranger.
1: It's sort of the boring class in the middle, right? (laughs) Politics is really just not particularly optimistic at the moment. Although I suppose Labour gaining in the polls is is reason for optimism, but it's a long time since that ever gets to translate into votes, even in terms of local elections. We've got a bunch of them next year, uh, regional, devolved, local. In fact, everyone in the country, I think, will get the chance to vote in an election of some kind. In fact, most people actually get more than one election they can vote in. Um, Here in uh, the county where we are, we're going to have city county and police and crime commissioner elections all on the same day (laughs) which is going to be fun and i think the most is in uh somebody who lives in bristol the city of bristol will get a ballot paper for their city councillor their city mayor their regional mayor and their police and crime commissioner so that's four elections on the exact same day so i'm sure that sounds fun so um
0: how does that even work when you vote, vote for multiple things on the same day? Do they just give you a really long ballot paper? No, Is they, it multiple ballot they papers? They give you
1: four different ballot papers. Oh. So they give you like a pile.
0: Oh.
1: Because um, uh, I voted in, um, in London before when they have the Greater London Authority elections right. um, back when I was living in, in London. And uh, they give you the London Assembly constituency ballot paper, the London Assembly list ballot paper, the mayoral election ballot paper um and that's it's just like three and some of them especially the list one are really long because you have all these minor parties thinking oh it's a proportional election i can win a seat then none of them ever do but they all clog up the ballot paper so you have this it's not as bad as in australia when they used to have um single transferable vote by candidate for massive statewide senate elections oh god so and so people would be presented with these ballot papers that were the size of like posters folded up and then they have to unfold them. And it was it was chaos. <laughs> so people would just um, vote what was called voting above the line. So rather than choosing to preference each individual person, they would just say, I'm going to vote for this party and however they want to allocate my preferences, that's fine with me. I don't care. And so whenever people talk about the single transferable vote as the best proportional voting system, I'm like... I'm not so sure, man. I know that academics who study voting systems for decades love it because it's really like precise and calculated and designed to achieve a specific outcome. But like, you don't need to be that complicated, man. You can just use the German system of half first-past-the-post, half proportional, with a little algorithm to um, even out the balance and make sure that it's proportional overall. You don't need to confuse voters to the degree that it happened in australia it's not necessary
0: that sounds very very messy and complicated down under yeah crikey oh (laughs) sorry
1: am i gonna have to i'm gonna have to call our australian friend in to berate you for that
0: (laughs) you could skype in our half 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 Australian australian friend to berate me she'd be there like what's the context
1: you didn't even do an accent, to be fair. You just said "crikey." I just
0: was... said the word "crikey." I don't feel like that's forbidden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Moving on. This is not as bad as last time when I bleeped out many things that you tried oh, to say.
0: Oh no! Don't bleep "crikey." We got, got to do the old classic. Uh, you know the the polling roundup. Da, da 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 Polling roundup.
1: Go. So this month, nothing changed. To the end.
0: Oh no! Oh my God! It hasn't. I thought you were making a bit, and then I looked down and saw the paper. It's
1: quite remarkable. I, I, I think the last time where not a single party's average vote changed was like a year ago, like two years ago. It, 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 it's very uncommon. Usually, you have at least one point shifting either way for one of the parties, but none of them. Like Tories, forty three percent unchanged. Labour, thirty seven percent unchanged. Lib Dem, seven (laughs) percent, unchanged. (laughs) SNP 5% unchanged, Green 4% unchanged, which would lead to a Conservative majority of 20 seats, um, which pretty much would look exactly like the 2015 election. Tories on mm. about 335, Labour 231, SNP 51, Lib Dems 9, others 24, which is basically the exact same result of 2015, and nothing has changed in five years. But things have changed in terms of the approval of the individual party leaders, and those things I think are interesting. So Boris Johnson has, um, ever since he became prime minister, has had a lead on the best prime minister question in polling. Um, on average, across every single month since he became PM, it's gone up, it's gone down, but he's always been in the lead. Uh, spoiler: he still is, but his lead has fallen from uh, 24 points uh, in April to four in August. So. Boris Johnson, 37% think he'd be the best prime minister, which is down three from last month, and 33% say Starmer. And that's the uh, smallest gap between the Tory leader and the Labour leader since uh, June 2019. Um, But even then, that was when both party leaders were like polling below 20%. So the closest comparison is since June 2017, um, when they were within uh, a couple of points of each other, or like late 2017, so I mean, Starmer's certainly picking up support in terms of how many people perceive him as a prime ministerial figure. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on why that might be.
0: Um, he's a very bland, staid figure. <laughs> I don't. I'm not even trying to roast him. No, he's just, no. Compared to Boris, he's just so chilled. <laughs> as a concept, as a concept of a human being, Keir Starmer is a bit of a wheat cracker man. But like I mean, we've discussed, how we've compared Kiyosama to multiple different foods at we this have, point. We have, we have. In a sense, he is just a kind of bland salted potato man. He's white like, bread. He's a white bread man. It's, yeah. and that's fine. That's fine. Yeah,
1: I like white bread sometimes.
0: Sometimes.
1: And in, in terms of uh, approval ratings, though, he's he's dropped slightly. He's gone from forty-one percent approval to thirty-nine percent, mm. um, and his disapproval's gone up to twenty-six percent, just up by one. Mm. Um, which means his net approval, like approval minus disapproval, is the lowest since uh, April when it was um, plus 13, I think.
0: It's quite normal for it to do- to downturn over time though, right? Yes. And as well, he's been quite meh. Yeah, this is what I was going to say. On a lot of the stances about like going back to school and et cetera. He's just not had much to say.
1: No, it's you can only rely so long on people... Not liking your opponent and liking you by default
0: you kind of need to do things too
1: yeah i've said it before like labor needs to be taking stances on things and articulating what they would do instead um and this is something that people who were on the labor right and centrists who supported him have started to notice as well they're saying like those of us who are Posting on Twitter like we we can just say the government's bad and not have to say what we would do instead. But you're the leader of the opposition, you need to say what you would do instead. You think the uh, people going back to school in uh, September is a mistake? Say so and say when you think they should go instead. Do you not think it's a mistake? Okay, what would you do differently? You can't just keep saying the government's incompetent. The government's incompetent. The government's incompetent. I would rather have a Labour government doing good things incompetently than a Tory government doing bad things competently. And Mm. I think that most voters have views that are similar, even if they might say, oh, I prefer a Tory, incompetent Tory government, etc. I think what matters is what you're going to do, not whether you do it competently or otherwise. Because if incompetence was important to voters, why in the name of all that is holy did they elect... Boris Johnson.
0: Because he's their mate Boris. They could see down at the pub.
1: Yes, but the the point is is that incompetence clearly doesn't matter. Mm. Because they they elected Theresa May as Prime Minister in 2017, and then they elected Boris Johnson, who is astoundingly times more incompetent than she ever was. And 40-plus percent of the voters continue to support him and rate him highly in terms of approval. And it's just, I, I think it's a fool's errand. I think that running on competence as your main selling point it is going to win an election. You need to say what you're going to do instead. Mm. But yeah, Boris Johnson's approval is 41% approve, 44% disapprove. So, and that's uh, that's up from the last few months. He's been exactly like 41, 41, 42, 42. It's been like an exactly evenly divided population. But finally, a slightly, a slight narrow uh, percentage think that he's doing a bad job, which, I mean, that took a while. It's the first time since December they thought he's doing a bad job.
0: Because they're not it? paying much attention. Yeah.
1: yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I asked this last time, but there is just an absurd number of people who vote Tory, think Boris Johnson's doing well, Uh think he'd be the best PM. And and I still don't really understand where they're getting that from. I know it's because they think he's Mr. Brexit, but I mean, Brexit's done.
0: Okay, so you know the hungry, hungry hippos? Yes. You know how they love to gobble up those white balls and only those white balls and it's all they care about? Yeah. Now, this is going to be a little bit harsh on Tory voters, but picture a Tory voter and all they gobble down is the same few nuggets of news telling them that they did the right thing by voting Tory... And you got a pretty accurate picture of their consumption of knowledge, because every time I talk to Tory voters I know, they always are so flabbergasted whenever I bring up a counterpoint, or whenever I say that's not true, or here's something Labour's wanting to do, or here's the actual state of education. Because I'm never going to let that go. Of course. And they always yeah. look at me with such shock, like that's so bad. And I'm like, I know. Stop voting for the Tories. <laughs> but like, they have no. There's no connection there's no ability to connect. I think I've said it before. I think there's like a real difficulty with critical thinking when it comes to the media media. Among, literacy, yeah. uh, there's no, like, I think media literacy is a real problem among older generation, on older, older generations. The Tory voter, voters tend to be older and they just listen to what they're told. And the media is so Tory biased that they just gobble up the same crap, telling them they're making great choices in the great Britain, great Britain. Woo. like, We live in a country that still has arguments about whether it should promote the idea of the empire being a good thing. We live in a country that still talks fondly about how our empire once covered over a quarter of the earth. Like, we live in a country where... It becomes a bit of a stink if we say, hey, we should talk critically about an empire that enslaved millions of people, rather than going, oh man, we were great. We're just, we're a rich country because we worked really hard. We're the plucky underdog. We've never been the underdog. We were the evil big one. Like, you know how we're evil in Hollywood films? It's because we still benefit from it today.
1: Yeah, there's people like, why is every villain in a Hollywood film British? Because like,
0: we are the villains!
1: Because to most of the world, British accent means villainy, and I wonder why.
0: Like One of the most common things I get back from horror voters is, but it's not my fault, but I didn't do anything, trying to separate themselves from that history. But here's the thing, right? I'm white, I'm middle class... Um, I'm from the UK, like, I've benefited directly from the things my ancestors have done, regardless of whether my ancestors were coal miners or not.
1: Well, I think we've said a lot about the empire there. <laughs> um, oh, uh, what I was going to say was, did you see this, the um, inverted commas, row about Rule Britannia?
0: Yeah, that's kind of what inspired my... Yeah, I
1: thought it might have been, yeah.
0: I saw it on Twitter and I sighed for about 50 seconds.
1: Anyway, that's enough about the empire, probably.
0: Yeah, closing our other recurring segment. His, our history is terrible, and we should we should talk about it honestly. Yeah.
1: So, talking about things that are history. Yeah. The Liberal Democrats.
0: Hey.
1: So after eight months without a leader or without a, a full-time leader, the Lib Dems have finally elected their new leader, and despite all of the excitement. And the uh, the expectations around, oh, is the Lib Dems going to go to the left of Labour? Are they going to elect Lila Moran, you know, the first Palestinian elected to the House of Commons? Like, the, the, the only the second woman who might lead the Liberal Democrats, they elected Ed Davey by 64% to 36
0: Oh, yike.
1: Which was the biggest victory for any Liberal Democrat leader since 1988, which is a pretty stunning defeat for the Liberal left which does exist as a very small faction in the Lib Dems, Um, because Moran had put forward these relatively left-wing policy proposals around basic income uh, and other things, Um, whereas Davy was a minister in the coalition, is a supporter of a permanent budget surplus, which would lead to endless, never-ending austerity. Um, He is a a right-wing liberal, and his massive victory is, is, to my mind, is just... And the thing is, people were surprised. And people were surprised that Moran, that I was constantly saying, Moran is not going to win. Davey is going to win. And he's going to win handsomely. And, and people were like, no, 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 no. Why would they be that stupid? It's like,
0: because they're the Lib Dems. I mean, as well, have you seen the last five years in politics? Yes. It's just relentless right-wingism. <laughs> and relentless
1: stupid decisions after another. It's like, oh.
0: We want the world to be terrible again. Let's it, vote for all the... Terrible people. It, it's, uh,
1: but I don't know. You you said when I told you about Ed Davies' win, you said he was a household name. I was surprised.
0: Well, I based that off the fact that I actually recognised his name from back in the day, pre-knowing you, which is unusual for me in the Lib Dems. Tell me more. Literally, it's just name recognition. Oh, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't know any. I couldn't draw. I couldn't even draw the man for you. Except, oh wait, I bet I can guess. Is he fifty plus? Yes. this is like guess who is he greyish
1: Is what his skin
0: no god he's not (laughs) he's not a troll from Homestuck no is he greyish you know feeling the age feeling the years around
1: his hair no Um, let me find a picture of him for you oh sorry Sir Ed Davey
0: oh Sir Sir Ed Davey Davey. he looks exactly how I expected except for his very smooth face we did talk about him before because I said he had a very good skin we
1: did (laughs) The question is really, like, can he lead the Lib Dems to anything, really? No. Because they're, they're <laughs> completely irrelevant at this point, which is, like, they've averaged 7% for five months in a row, which is astounding for a party that managed to convince itself that it could win a majority or gain, like, 200 seats just, like, a few months ago. Like, it's amazing how far they've fallen to the point where... Um, depending on which poll you read, it's like between 40 and 50% of people who voted for the Lib Dems in 2019 are voting Labour. My God. And definitely in every poll, less than 50% of the people who voted Lib Dem eight months ago are voting for them now. They've lost nearly half their vote share. Um, They'd only lose two seats, um, despite losing nearly half their vote share, but that's because most of the seats they won in 2019 were very few of them, and they won them with big majorities. So losing votes doesn't change that much, but it does mean they don't advance. And most of the gains that they made in 2019 didn't come in seats that they held. It came in safe Labour and safe Tory seats, which is, uh, I think, an undernoticed thing about the 2019 election. Like, the Lib Dem popular vote went up. The reason their seat count went down is because their strategy was incredibly useless and inefficient. So in Wokingham, for example, safe Tory seat, Lib Dem share went up by 22 points. But in North Norfolk, which was the seat they won in 2017 and 2015, it went down by 18 points. Eastbourne, another seat they won, went down by 6. And of course, Joe Swinson's seat went down by 4. Meanwhile, in Jacob Breeze-Mogg's safe seat, it went up by 14 points. So the votes were going up in all the wrong places and down in all the wrong places as well. And the outcome was they made a net loss of one seat and won less than half of the seats that they won even in their 2015 wipeout. So, I mean, they acknowledge this to their credit. Their post-election report is damning. It basically says our strategy was a complete mess. We made a massive mistake and we will have to do a lot better and something very different in order to win next time and the membership responded by electing more of the same <laughs> and doing the exact same thing all over again.
0: Elliot has that a report printed out and stapled and they use it in their bed at night like a teddy bear to help them sleep.
1: I I, I just have bar charts that show the Lib Dems uh estimated vote falling from 20% to 19 to 18 14 to 12 to 8 7. One day it will be one and then zero just like the independent group.
0: I'm gonna get you a party popper and save it for that day.
1: Save it that day, yeah, yeah. When when the Lib Dems finally reach zero percent, and we can finally wave farewell to the most pointless party in uh, in British politics, um, with the maybe the exception of the independent group.
0: Are they gone now? The we, independent group, change group, change UK. Yeah, they're gone.
1: They, um, they won no seats and. Um, the party has now been uh, wound up. This pleases. Deregistered. It is done. It is an ex-party. It has ceased to be.
0: This pleases me very
1: much. Uh, that's a Monty Python joke, just for... We have actually been going for a while. I was worried that I hadn't written enough for a while then, so no, I no. think... I...
0: Poll of the month, though. we got to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I okay. love the poll of the month. So
1: um, this, I think, the poll of the month was a poll from YouGov that asked whether businesses where staff have been working from home... Uh, during the COVID pandemic should or should not encourage staff to return to the office. And uh, it was should 31%, should not 47%, but the age breakdown Hmm. was noted by many.
0: Was Uh, it the retirees, by any chance, saying we should go back? Well,
1: yes, it was.
0: Oh, I'm so surprised. A
1: majority...
0: So surprised it's the boomers again.
1: A majority of working age voters thought that businesses shouldn't encourage staff to return to the office. This isn't even like require them it's like encouraged like that's that's how opposed people are like i don't even want you to encourage me just leave it okay whereas retirees like by a nine point margin people who aren't working say oh yes send them back
0: save the economy save old blighty you know what actually i have a closing thought for you which is i looked down at your poll breakdown for this Mm -hmm. and i saw 18 to 24 year olds and then i realized i'm not in that bracket
1: you're not and I'm neither not. am I, to be fair, but you're not. But
0: here's the thing we're not in that bracket, not by six months or a year. We're outside of that bracket by two years. Exactly.